Welcome to Private Club Radio, your weekly source for industry education, news and discussion. Broadcasting from Tampa, Florida, ladies and gentlemen, here is your host, Gabriel Aloisi. Hey friends, welcome back to Private Club Radio. It's been an entire week since we've been on the radio. Seems like forever. I'm happy to be back. I am about to head out to Minnesota to speak with the upper Midwest chapter of the CMAA. But before I do that, I have a really fun show for you today. We're going to be chatting with Mr. David Cavosa, who is the CEO of Caddy Now. Caddy Now is the Uber for caddies. I got a sneak peek for the first time, really, about what they do at the National Club Conference in LA a few weeks back and wanted to have David on the show to share what he was doing and what he's all about. I'm going to go play Interlochen tomorrow actually up in Minnesota with a caddy. Can't wait. I love playing with caddies. I love walking the course. I think that's the best way to play golf. Anytime I can use a caddy, I love to do that. So really happy to be doing that up in Interlochen. Thanks to Joel Livinggood for letting me slip on. And David has a lot to share about why his program might just be a perfect fit for your private club. And after we hear from David, we're going to have Norm Spitzig on the show, who's fresh back from Ecuador, Ecuador on the equator. My wife is from Ecuador. I love Ecuador. I've been there about a dozen times now. I'm actually going to be there for the entire month of July, which I'm so excited for. I've rented a little condo on the Pacific Ocean and going to get my kids immersed in their heritage and culture that they haven't really had a chance to experience. So really excited to do that. But Norm got a bunch of lessons and information that he's brought back about what's happening in Ecuador and in South America with private clubs. That's going to be a really fun chat. Since we've got two guests on the show, I'm not going to ramble on too much this morning, but I did want to let you know about the last-minute registration available for the membership directors of Southwest Florida's annual conference, the first-ever annual conference. I'll be there speaking about social media. That's happening just next week on the 17th. And if you want to find out more information, go to their website, mdasf.com. It's going to be a really fun conference, some great speakers, and interesting attendees. All right, let's get this show on the road. My next guest is David Cavosa of Caddy Now. He's the founder and CEO. David has eight years experience as vice president and general manager of a $200 million business unit of Harris Corp. He's got seven years as executive director of Satellite Industry Association in DC and now three years as founder and CEO of Caddy Now. David, I'm really excited to have you on the show. Saw you at the National Club Association's conference out in LA. And you talk about a renaissance happening in the world of caddies. So I'd love for you to kind of share that with our audience and let us know what's happening with caddies out there. Sure. And thanks for having me on the on the show today. The um the caddy renaissance it's it's underway um over the last uh, three years since we've entered this space um we've seen a huge uptake in golf courses starting caddy programs that didn't have them before uh we've seen three or four more companies come on board uh the market over the last few years 
And we've seen a lot of uh, interested players start to take caddies that hadn't been taking them in the past. And it really fits with our, our mission, which is to bring caddies back to the game of golf and make them available at every golf course, not just uh, the top 1% of courses, but all courses if they want them. But also where we've, uh, where we've seen a need over the last few years with some of the lawsuits that have been occurring is we now see our role is also protecting and preserving the uh, caddy programs that do already exist out there at some of the very high-end resorts and clubs. Uh, there's been a lot of attention being paid to those clubs and their programs, and we're now able to come in and uh, help them solve their problems. Yeah, so some of the issues I know clubs are having are it's kind of like a contractor issue. Are they employees? Are they contractors? Am I getting that right? Yeah, there's, you know, there's caddy programs that have been run a certain way for 100 years, right? Uh, it's one of the great traditions of the game, and it's never really been updated for uh, today's day and age. Um, and, and some of the lawsuits that have been out there, there's been various reasons for them. But one of the big issues that people are starting to address now is the independent contractor versus employment issue, which is being driven heavily by what's going on in the on-demand economy with mm-hmm. Uber and Lyft and the hundred right. other Uber for market out there. And, uh, and we're similar in that space. That When we built our platform, our business, we saw that the answer was making caddies true independent contractors. That's foundational mm-hmm. to the business. And that's what's protecting the course from the way that they've been running their program in the past. So we sit down with the courses and say, do you do this? Do you do this? Do you do this with their caddies? And they sort of awkwardly say, uh-huh. <laughs> and then we say, and we say, okay, well, here's what we're going to do for you. And mm-hmm. we walk them through some of the, some of the tweaks we're going to make. And then we help protect them and provide a, a legal and liability shield for the club and for the golfers and, uh, and add some technology in as well to make it easy for everybody. Yeah, for sure. So I know anytime I'm I'm playing golf, I always prefer to have a caddy, but it's just so, so often you just don't have the opportunity because courses don't want to take on that risk. So let's talk a little bit about what caddy now can do for those courses out there who maybe have never had a caddy program in the past. Yeah, we, we did a survey last year with uh, the Buffalo Agency uh, of about 300,000 golfers in their database. And uh, the interesting stat that came back, which blew me away, is that 36% of golfers surveyed said they would take a caddy uh, if it were available at the course they were playing at. Wow. Uh, and as we know from our own, our own research, there's only about 2 or 3% of all courses in the country today have caddy programs. But yet yeah. 36% of golfers said they would want to take a caddy. There's only one course so here whole, in Tampa that so, has it. I, I know how that is. It's like you, right. know, you just never see them. Yeah, and the nature of traditional caddy programs just made it too hard for a course to maintain a program. You, know, you need to have a full-time caddy manager. You end up having to do lots of recruiting and training and certification, and, and there's money issues, and there's quality control issues, and it just becomes a huge hassle. Uh, so we've, we've sort of, us and a couple of our competitors, we've cracked that code and said, no, listen, there's a much easier way to do this, folks. Mm-hmm. So that's, that's what we're seeing. I mean, there's this huge untapped market potential for caddy rounds. Yeah. that's not being uh, addressed today and we get really big uh, really big eyes when we look at that yeah so you've kind of built this as the uber for caddies so i'd love for you to just to sort of take us through the process of of using the caddy now program how does it work yeah so there's sort of two models here um number one for a course that doesn't already have a caddy program 
um, we come in and it's a pretty easy process for them. They sign a a one-page agreement with us to allow caddies on the property. There is no fee for the golf course. Um, There's uh, some help we ask them for in getting the word out to their membership and to local kids, but uh, we do most of the work. And when a golfer wants a caddy, they download the app, much like they're going to book an Uber. They're going to make a request for a caddy, what type of caddy they want. That blasts the message out to all the caddies that are approved for that golf course. Uh, and the course has control over that, by the way. And uh, first caddy to get it, uh, pick it up, gets it. It's first come, first serve. They show up 30 minutes beforehand, loop and leave. Uh, and then after the round's over, the golfer can rate the caddy, and the caddy can rate the golfer, and that becomes very important. Uh, the credit card is golfer's credit card's charged. The caddy gets a direct deposit into their bank account that day. They get tipped in cash in person, and that's sort of the easy model uh, for the course without a program. Yeah. Uh, now, for courses that have caddy programs, you know, we just signed the Olympic Club um, in California. Uh, Bethesda Country Club and Baltimore Country Club in Maryland and some other very high-profile clubs around the country, mm-hmm. they had caddy programs, but they wanted to basically take it off their plate and protect themselves from any future issues. So we come in, we sign on all of their existing caddies onto the platform, and then we can customize the program around how they want it to be run within reason. And there's just a few areas where we're adamant about that you can't violate this. We can't do that because then it makes the IC versus employment issue a problem. Mm-hmm. But if the courses will, will work with us and listen to us, then it's, it's a pretty easy uh, program to implement at their club and they can customize it around their needs. I love that the billing is taken care of right within the platform. To me, that seems like it's so, so much easier for clubs. Now, how does it work in terms of um, revenue? Are you splitting some of the revenue with the clubs then? Yeah, absolutely. It's completely up to the club itself. Again, you hear me use the word customization a lot. Um, Because this is a software platform, it's pretty easy to customize to each club. So when they tell us, hey, we need to to take a a revenue share from every caddy round that goes out, we say, fine, how much do you want? Right. Um, We sort of, we discourage that rev share because it raises the price of the caddy uh, to the customer. But if the club wants $5 every time a caddy goes out or 10 yeah. We provide it. It's, right. uh, it's pretty simple. Sure. Now, let's say I'm a golfer. I'm going up to the Olympic Club and want to play a round. And I know that I love my the caddy that I, you know, caddied for me last summer. Is it possible to match people up with, with their specific choices within your platform? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it's, it's fundamental to the business is golfers develop relationships with their favorite caddies. So our platform, I'm sure our competitors do the same thing. Platform allows the golfer to choose from a list of their preferred caddies that they've rated highly in the past. And that means those caddies get a two to four hour advance notice before any other caddy does to pick that loop up. Nice. Now, because they have to, because they have to stay independent, the caddy still has to accept that's key. That's foundational to the business and to the legal issues. You can't book your caddy and say, here, you're coming with me, but you can (laughs) say, I I want you. And then the caddy says, Yes, I'm in. Nice. That's key to the platform. Yeah, I like that that approach for sure. What other issues does does this solve for clubs out there, David? Yeah, the the big one is the legal and liability shield. You know, because of the lawsuits you and I just talked about, there's a lot of clubs that are you know relooking at. Oh wow, look at the exposure we have here with this program and the way we've been doing this a long time. Yeah. 
that's the biggest issue. But for the game of golf, I'll say to answer the question a little bit differently, you know, we're bringing more diversity and more youth into the game by yeah. creating these programs. We have we have over three thousand caddies on the platform, and a majority of those caddies were not caddies before we were created. So that's you know a couple thousand more kids and. Uh, with diverse backgrounds and with different backgrounds who are now getting exposed to golf and earning some money in the game of golf, which we think is going to keep them a lot longer. That's amazing. Yeah, we just had Steve Mona on the show recently, and he was talking about the economic impact of golf. And so that's amazing that you guys are just adding to that. So that's really fantastic, David. You guys have a partnership with the First Tee and the Evans Scholarship Fund. I'd love for you to talk about that a little bit. Yeah, sure. So when we go into each market uh, around the country, the first thing we do is reach out to the first tee at the local level and uh, and p- partner up with them. And it's a natural fit because we're trying to get their kids uh, more in golf. Um, and uh, we basic concept is they help send kids our way to get them on the platform. And in exchange, we do uh, a donation for every round in that market. We donate money back to the first tee. Nice. Keep them growing strong. And we do something similar with Youth on Course in Northern California uh, and with several other kind of groups on a local basis around the country. Oh, that's fantastic. How many clubs right now are using your platform? Uh, We're just now over 110 clubs on the platform. That's amazing. um, Over the last two or so years. So, yeah, we're we're in seven markets and uh, it's, it's been going well. Congratulations. That's so fantastic. Now, if clubs want to find out more, David, they want to get in touch with you and have you do a demo of the software, how do they get in touch with Caddy Now and you? Yeah, I mean, the easiest way is hit the website, uh, www.caddynow.com. It's caddy with an I-E. Or they can uh, send me an email at uh, Dave, just simply Dave at caddynow.com. And we uh, we can set something up for them. That's fantastic. David, thanks so much for joining me on this edition of Private Club Radio. Really enjoyed the chat. Thank you, Gabriel. And now it's time for your monthly masterclass presented by Master Club Advisors. Well, this week on Masterclass, I'm joined by principal and senior partner of Master Club Advisors, Mr. Norm Spitzig. He's fresh back from his trip to Ecuador in South America. So, Norm, first off, I want to talk to you about just kind of read the pulse of what's happening down there in South America in terms of the club world. Well, first off, Dave's always great to talk to you. Thank you. And and I am back. I, I spent uh, six wonderful days in Quito, Ecuador. I was going to go with Greg Patterson on a longer extended trip where we're going to go to Quito and Guayaquil and, and probably Cuenca and, and talk to uh, gatherings of clubs down there. Obviously it's, by U.S. standards, a small number of clubs, uh, relatively isolated. Um, but still, it's interesting. Every time you go, you find out that they have basically the same sort of interest and problems and challenges and issues that we have here in the United States. Obviously, they're slanted by different, you know, different cultures and things. And it was really exciting to go. They they treated me like I was a king, and uh, they liked it so much. They invited me and my wife and Greg and his wife back sometime within the next year, so we can retake our extended tour. Um, so you know, I learned a lot of things, and hopefully, picked up one or two things from me. My my main topic that they wanted to hear from me is, oh, three or four things. But really, what are the components of a of great service? They seemed at the club. The club I went to was called Arianas Country Club. It was voted the best club 
in a magazine um, published in Quito, kind of one of those upscale city magazines. It's the best club in Quito and one of the best clubs in Ecuador, if not the best club in Ecuador. And so they're really service-driven. Uh, they wanted to hear about governance trends. They, I think the board was really, I don't know how to say it, uh, almost paranoid that they could be doing things better. And in a good sense, they really wanted to do better. And of course, we talked about strategic planning, and we, I gave them the remnants. You know, they, they actually generated it, but I helped facilitate the, the beginning of a, a strategic plan. When I go back, I think we'll finalize that. So it was really a good trip, and you know, uh, as I said, I learned a bunch of things, and I think more importantly, I learned a lot of good things from them. Yeah, give us nice. a takeaway or two that you learned from them, Norm. Um, just in no particular order, I think um, they were really focused. On education, and I'm talking both the staff. I spent one whole day with the, with the 25 or 30 department heads, and you know, number twos in the department, and they were, as a group, very thirsty to just to learn about what they could be doing better. Not not pretend thirsty. Uh, when I spoke to them, my my Spanish is in poco, so I had a translator. And um, after we got over to the initial. I don't know, like, why is this guy here and what's he doing? We realized I'm a semi-normal person, and they are too. We, <laughs> we got along great. And a lot of good conversation, a lot of good questions about what we can do to better educate ourselves. Uh, the board the board of directors, who I met with two full days, they had you know the same desire too. So, so clearly there's this desire for education, and the fact that you know there's no formal structures like CMA um, really to feed them, except sort of the you know occasional visits. They 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 you know were really happy, and as I said, the staff sort of stood up and in the end applauded me, but more importantly applauded themselves for you know being really exciting. So that was good. Um, something which I'm sure you appreciate, and the, the whole emphasis in Ariana's Country Club, and I'm sure the whole country is this focus on family. Family is clearly the driving factor for just about everything they do in the club. Ariana's Country Club, for instance, had soccer fields, mini soccer fields. Um, they had a whole area reserved just for kind of kids playing, kids education. And I'm talking, you know, from two years old up to 15. And they, one of the teams there was a couple of the players on the club team are also on the, the national um, soccer, youth soccer uh, team that competes around the world. So, I mean, they were really driven towards family things, um, which which I really liked. And I learned that everything I could do. My host was a guy named Roberto Gabella and his wife, um, Karina, on the last night invited me to their house. And next thing I know, his their two daughters are in college are there. And, you know, they just welcomed me like I was, a you know, a relative, which is wow. really pretty cool. <laughs> um, they... they were really, again, thirsty on how they could better market their club. The club was almost full. In their minds, they'd like to have a 1,000 members, and they were all 50 members short or something. And they had a, um, a plan, which we spent a lot of time on tweaking, um, and gave them some ideas about how we could better market the members, which is obviously a sweet spot of you and, and, and you know your knowledge. But they, they were really, really concerned about what can we do that maybe we haven't thought of to attract our members. So what, what, would, enough, what advice really would you here. give them down there in Ecuador? Because that's such a different market than here. I'd be curious to hear what you told them. Um, I don't think I told them so much as got them to think about what they were doing. For instance, they one thing they did, which I just thought was, was awesome, is they don't really have a person who's the membership marketing person per se. They have, they have people who I would say sort of process the, the paperwork 
So the membership marketing community is really a bunch of members and a couple senior staff people, and they were really big on personal relationships. Like if you know friends who really should belong to the club and don't know what it costs and know what it's about, give us their number and we'll call them. Um, they, for instance, had a whole equestrian, equestrian center, which was really nice. And they had a big meet when I was there. And so a lot of other people who came to that were guests, you know, were interested in horses, but were just there for the weekend. And so they, they really followed up with, took down the names of everybody and were going to follow up with calls. And, and so again, they're really on an upbeat role about how they get members. Nice. Which nice. I thought was pretty neat. Yeah. I just, um, I was, I was hearing a podcast. It was another podcast or it was a book, something I was, actually it was a book I was reading. And here in the United States, we're a very me first culture, right? Well, they've actually done studies all across the world um, of, of cultures. And are they kind of me oriented? Like I need to get my needs served first, or are they a collectivist society? And believe it or not, um, even more than Asia, Ecuador is the most collectivist society in the whole world. <laughs> so that I can I can see how they were so hospitable to you, and I'm sure that comes across. Did you notice that in the way they uh, in the way they were hospitable, but also the way they served their own members and and and, and took care of the the other staff there? Yeah, I think that's a good observation. Obviously, you've been there a bunch of times and you can and can see it. But my this was my first visit, and and I, I think it came across when I toured the club on, on a Sunday afternoon when it was just booming. I mean, they had, they just built a new deck kind of overlooking, um, uh, what they called Cotopaxi, which is way out of the 19,000 foot snow capped volcano. You can see really in the distance and they kind of cut down some trees and had this view, but it was packed mainly because it was a new deck and the weather was good and everything. While they're, I'm sure they had their share of what I would call impatient members and every club has those. Generally speaking, it was pretty relaxed. Um, you asked me what I learned. I'll tell you one thing I learned. A little manana attitude isn't all bad. <laughs> <laughs> it, really, it really isn't. We we are so stressed, time-focused, you know, sort of our U.S. culture that every minute counts. And that's good because I guess that's who I am anyway. But a little relaxation. Your food will get there. We're doing our best we can. We want to provide great service, but we're not going to rush it. It sort of permeated the whole uh, atmosphere. I also noticed that, that um, and, and it happens in clubs here too, but there was a, a really pretty strong interaction between some of the servers and, and some of the, uh, the families who were there getting taken care of. A lot of big tables of 10, 12, 15 that were having, I don't know, maybe their Sunday you know, main meal at the pool and all things. So, right. Yes, you're right. It was really kind of driven with that um, um, personal relationship between the, the staff members and between the club members. And yeah. Again, we had that in the U.S., but I just really noticed that there is an outsider. It's interesting. You see like big groups of people and, and, and things that you don't necessarily see in our clubs. What did you notice differently about the clubs down there in terms of their setup that allows for some of that interaction to take place? For instance, at my club, you know, I go to dinner and it's my table of two, you know, me and my wife or maybe my kids are there and there's 12 or 15 other tables of two, whereas there it's a much more social atmosphere. So what did you notice in terms of yeah. club setup that, that sort of breeds well, that? Well, that, that's, you know, that's a, that's a really interesting question because now that you say it, I did notice something and it just popped in my head and it really is, it really is true. They have, the way this club is set up, they have one kind of outdoor slash indoor area that's covered but it's open mm -hmm. you know because the weather is basically good all the time where it's where you pick up your vegetables and if you want a steak cooked to order it's pretty much the, the carnivore station if you will nice 
right on the other side of the wall is a pasta casual pizza oven place. And they had this, this big brick old oven that they used for making pizza. But the way the restaurant was, you could open up. So people, families could go to the station of their choice and either get sort of a big meal kind of thing or something more casual and then go back to the table. And again, the tables were six and eight and 10. Now, again, we had that in the U S but it was, that was, this was sort of the core focus area of the main restaurant. And mm-hmm. it was really, really pretty nice how people could pick up kind of the food they want and come back and sit at the table. So it, it worked pretty well. Um, they obviously, you obviously get ordered too. So I, I, Again, just I'm there and I'm an observer, and I, my Spanish is not very good, but you can just sense the the vibe. They also had a um, an extended young people's facility, and, and in there there was like learning centers, and there was, you know, for for very small kids, they had a um, um, golfito. Is that what it was? I think it was called a a little golf station that sort of mirrored the big one, and you saw little kids three and four with these big old plastic balls and nice. and uh, uh, clubs trying to drive it in there. I guess that's how you get to be good golfers if you start early. Yeah. So again, it was just really focused on, on family, everything we could do. The facilities were nice. They were up to par. Um, the club, I guess the best way to say about this particular club, next time when Greg and I go back, we're going to go to different clubs. But I would say at this particular club, if you, you could pick it up and put it in any major city in the U.S., and by design and by the service attitude and, and the way the members treat the staff and vice versa, it would do well. It really would. Neat. Very cool. Very cool. You guys are heading to um, Australia next on this on your worldwide tour, aren't you? What are you going to be doing out there, Norm? We are. Um, Greg and I had something that we called the Roadshow 2016. We went to New Zealand and Australia and spoke on a variety of topics to a variety of groups. And uh, I think we were received pretty well because they invited us back this year. We are going, um, sort of our anchor visit is in um, Cairns, Australia, which is in the northern part and closer to the equator. So it's, you know, it's sort of their winter resort where the weather's pretty good in, in July. That's obviously winter in Australia. But it's it's a mild sort of like, um, you know, Florida winter. So Greg and I are going, we're the keynoters at this gaming conference there are um i think we'll have several hundred people there there are two kinds of clubs in australia basically there are the, the clubs that have uh, traditional golf and are much like any club in the u.s a member owned member governed club and there's you know three or four hundred of those and then there are these gaming clubs and there are literally thousands of those by by uh, state and this one is sponsored by queensland but i believe it's open to anybody from around the country you know we'll get a lot of people greg and i are going to talk we, we haven't really uh, finalize what we're going to talk about, but I know part of it will be membership marketing. And I think what we're going to do is we're going to, uh, since we only have an hour for our keynote address and we're both on stage, I think we're going to pick our best quotes from around the world and each give those that group apply to clubs and then comment on them. You know Greg well enough to know that uh, once he gets going, he can talk about any particular quote or slide, one of them for an hour. <laughs> so we have to really focus in on what we're doing. And then after after we go there, that's this is a three day conference, and we have a few other things. Then we're we're pretty sure we're going to Adelaide and Melbourne and Sydney, and Brisbane, and the details are all kind of moving parts now. But we've got our start date and our uh, conclusion date. And uh, Mike Orloff, who's um, an American, actually married an Australian girl, has lived there for 15 years. Former PGA pro, former GM, good friend of both of ours. He's our 
tour guide and setting everything up. And basically when I land in Sydney to the time I fly home from Melbourne, Mike's got everything planned from meals and hotels and internal flights and everything. So it's, it's a great time. The three of us last the whole time. Uh, we meet hundreds of great, you know, club managers from that part of the world. And hopefully we teach them a few things and we learn a lot from them too. It's, it's really good. Well, that's awesome. Well, listeners, if you are over in that part of the world, definitely stay tuned for the details and dates of uh, Greg and Norm's tour of uh, Down Under. Norm, as always, wonderful having you on the show. If people want to learn more about Master Club Advisors or have you do an education session for them, how do they go about reaching you? I would love to do one of those. As you can tell, uh, I get fired up about having the opportunity to speak to groups and, as I said, maybe provide one or two good ideas to get people thinking about how they can do things better. And and as I said earlier, you can always learn as a speaker from the people you're going with. Um, You can just contact me at my email, normspitzig at hotmail.com, or you can look at my LinkedIn connections. I've got several thousand connections on LinkedIn and post on there occasionally, and you can send me a note through LinkedIn. Uh, you can give me a call on our website, masterclubadvisors.com. You know, I, it's something I really like to do, and I keep busy between speaking and GM searches and strategic planning facilitation. So the, the grass, uh, you know, doesn't uh, grow too fast around me. I keep moving. So. <laughs> right on. Well, thanks so much, Norm. We'll, we'll talk to you next time on another edition of Masterclass. Oh, thanks. I'll talk to you soon, Dave. To learn more about Master Club Advisors, visit them on the web at masterclubadvisors.com and join us next month for another masterclass. The always entertaining Norman Spitzig, ladies and gentlemen. I always enjoy chatting with him. All right, well, I am going to pack my bags and get ready to hit the road to Minnesota. I hope you have a wonderful, productive week. Make sure it's a productive one. I'll catch you back here next week. And until then, here's to your membership success. Private Club Radio is brought to you by Concert Golf Partners, helping to preserve and enhance private golf and country clubs. Concert Golf has the capital, expertise, and private club hospitality experience to help upscale private clubs achieving long-term success and membership growth. For 25 years, Concert Golf has allowed private club members to focus on simply enjoying their club. Visit ConcertGolfPartners.com to learn more about the recapitalization process.